Fantastic. Um, we're starting a new series today. Uh, we're going to kind of go through the book of Nehemiah, which is going to be super fun. Yes. Um, really quickly, I want to recognize uh, somebody who many of you know, my father-in-law sitting on the front row, Robert Emmett. Everybody say hi, Robert. Um, Robert and Julie, uh, we were on staff at their church in San Antonio years ago, but uh, he's since retired and has made a huge impact in this church. He's spoken here a number of times and more, more, more than anything, spoken into our life. So thanks for being here. He's here supporting my daughter along with the Ochoa's kids because they're in a drama at school. So it's been a marathon of a weekend, but super fun because of Willy Wonka. That's right, <laughs> Willy Wonka. Well, let's dive in. Um, I am not much of a builder, um, but we're going to be talking about Nehemiah rising up to build. And if you know me, I'm, I'm not overly handy. You know that. Um, invite me over for, to do a lot of things, but to help you with a project or fix something. I'm not your guy unless you need an encourager, a, a fan. I, I will help clean afterwards. Um, we've, we discovered this early on, early on in our marriage. And again, everybody has their role in the marriage. And uh, I wish I could be that husband that was like the super fixer. Fortunately, Heather is much more handy than I am. Maybe just because she has the patience to stick with something long enough to figure it out. Anybody with me? Anybody just doesn't have the patience? I could probably do it, but it's like, can we just pay somebody? Heather's like, we're not paying somebody. I'm like, I, I don't, I can give you a few minutes, but uh, after that, I'm out. So anyway, early on in our marriage, we were in, living in Olympia, Washington. And in Olympia, Washington, if you don't have a hot tub, you're kind of missing it because it's so cold and rainy out that it's just so nice, you know, like on a, on a day where it's like 45 degrees late at night, and you're just like, I feel like going out and sitting in the hot tub. This is amazing. Snow on the ground, hot tub, fantastic. I mean, there's nothing better. And we didn't have the funds to go buy a hot tub, so Heather's like, well, I'll just look on Craigslist, and we'll get a used one, which I'm sure would have been a good idea if we were going to get like a nice used one. But no, we're looking for like free or like almost free. And so she finds this hot tub and she's like, they're giving it away. You remember this hot tub? <laughs> Some of you guys think I make this stuff up. I don't make these stories up. So finds this hot tub and she's like, all you need to do is go pick it up. And they say it's in decent condition and it's pretty big. And so we're kind of out there and we're like dreaming of what our, our, our backyard will look like with this hot tub. And we kind of like designated a spot for it. And we're like, dude, let's do this, right? I'm rising up. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm the husband that's going to make it happen. So I go to Home Depot because we didn't have a truck that could facilitate this big of a hot tub. So I go to the depot and rented one of those big flatbed trucks, $39.99. That's all this hot tub's going to cost me, $39.99. So I, I get like everybody I can think of to come with me. I got a big crew of people. We drive out literally to the middle of nowhere. And we, we, we come up, it's starting to drizzle a little bit. It's like 40 degrees. We walk outside and it's this like probably 1970s, 12 person hot tub. It's got like the wood slats around the bottom of it. I mean, this is not like North County Fair or, you know, like the um, Del Mar Fair hot tub. This is like old school. And they're like, yeah, uh, it probably works. Um, we haven't turned it on in like 10 years, but it, the last time it, we turned it on, it worked. It's just been sitting here. It's got like the mildew on the bottom with like a little bit of water in it. 
So I call Heather and I'm like, this is not exactly what we thought it was going to be. I think we should just bounce. She's like, honey, you've rented the truck. You drove all the way out there like an hour. You recruited all five of these guys. I think we should just grab it. Like, how bad can it be? So, I, we, so we surround this thing. We start like trying to grab it. Panel comes off. Cockroaches start running out. Honey, I think we should just eject. No, I think you should just grab it. It's free. Free is free. So we throw this thing on the side. We start rolling it to the car because we can't even lift it. It's that heavy, like old school, waterlogged. I'm thinking, why am I taking this piece of junk to our house? Rolling it, finally get up on the truck, get it to my house. I'm like, Heather, this was a huge mistake. She's like, no, this is going to be great. Can you imagine? She, Heather's got vision. She's like, we could fix up the bottom and like, how hard can it be, right? So we take all the guys, lift it over our fence, plop it on the yard. And I think for a solid year, it sat in that same spot, only getting worse until we finally donated it to like a Mormon school or something. But we had to beg people. We almost had to say like, we'll pay you to take this thing off of our property because it was so bad. And so I'm like, honey, we should, we should buy a good hot tub. We spent like 3,000 bucks, got a really nice hot tub, created a pad, and I got my, finally got my hot tub. Incredible. Have you ever had a project go bad? Come on, guys. You ever got a project go bad? You ever like, no, I can do this. We're good. And you get halfway in and you're like, I have made a huge mistake. Only Derek doesn't do that because Derek, he just, he knows what he's doing. I'm envious. Man crush. The phrase rise up means a different thing for everybody. And what you have to understand about this series is it's connected to what we feel like is the word for us this year as a church. Now, that sounds super spiritual, but really it's just this idea that at the beginning of the year as leaders, we kind of just get together and say, God, like what, what are you saying to us? What's like the general phrase and direction? Last year was make room. Remember that? And we made room in this place because God was like, I'm going to fill it. In the middle of COVID, like building an ark, right? And when it's never rained and God's like, do it. And, and we said, okay. And look what God has done. So this year, God said, rise up. And we didn't know it at the time, but God has brought some interesting dynamics to, in, in our way that's causing us to say, you know what? We're going to rise up this year. And so I wanted to take just a couple of weeks diving into the book of Nehemiah, talking about rising up and building. Not just waiting to see what God's going to do to rise up, but to rise up and build. So this series is about the stuff that's inside of you each of you. And I'm not saying like the bad stuff. I don't mean like your past stuff. We all have that. I'm talking about the incredible potential that God has in each of you. Paul talked about it when he said, I'm praying that the eyes of their heart might be open to see the immeasurable greatness of his power, the same power that was in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This immeasurable power is inside of you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're amazing. So when we talk about rising up, uh, it can kind of evoke one of two extremes. And, and, and one extreme can be, all right, so I'm going um, to rise up 
and, and, and start really kind of stepping up in my life. Um, I'm going to default to try harder. And this is kind of the feeling that you get when you're getting ready to go into the new year. You're like eating better, working out more, right? Just making less bad decisions, you know, um, being more polite to my kids. We have a list of things that we're like, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be better. I got to step up. And so when we say rise up, that can kind of evoke that of like, all right, this year I'm going to be, step up and be better. Now, none of those things are bad ideas, but I think that there's a different option. But the other um, sort of uh, knee-jerk reaction is people, when they hear rise up, and they get all spiritual, and they, they take the weight upon the Lord literally, and they rise up to wait. God, I know you're going to do something this year. It's going to be amazing. Let me know when you do it. In the meantime, I'm going to be hanging out, and I'm not going to change anything because you're going to do it, Lord. And these people, they are called spectators. Unfortunately, spectating often moves to criticizing because we all have opinions and we love to armchair quarterback. Now, don't look at me like you've never done that. And so these two extremes of like, you know what, God's going to do it all. I'm just going to wait and it's all in his hands and isn't he awesome? And like, I've got some opinions about how stuff should be done around here, but I'm just going to kind of hang out or God, I'm going to do everything and I'm going to step it up and I'm going to make it happen. And I just think that this series is going to be somewhere in the middle because I believe God's called us to rise up and build, not rise up and strive, not rise up and work harder, not rise up and wait but rise up and build. And what we're going to see is this, this is a beautiful partnership that God has invited you and me into that is life. Life in his name. I wrote this. God has created you to be a builder. This is the doorway to the abundant life that God has designed for you. Go ahead and throw that up there. I think I wrote that down. Well, I'll just say it. God has created you to be a builder. This is the doorway to abundant life. And I can't emphasize that enough, that, that the doorway to abundant life, the life that Jesus talked about, right? He said, that I came that he might have life. The enemy came that he might steal and kill and take everything away from you, but I came that you might have life and life in his name. And it starts with saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I accept you. That's the beginning but he's created you to be a builder. He hasn't created you to sit on the sidelines. He hasn't created you to discount yourself because you don't have very much to offer or that, that ship has sailed because of my past or maybe I'm just too old or I don't fit in or whatever. God's created you to be a builder. And you know this because have you ever been on a sports team and you just rode the bench? How fun is that? Have you ever been to a church where you never bothered to get involved? Or worse yet, it was just too hard to get involved. And so you sat in the back, week in, week out, and then you just kind of go, wow, is this really it? Is this really what God created and designed when he said not even the gates of hell would stand against this? Like, I'm just, I'm just watching. This is not life. And so what I want to say to you is God's calling you up to rise up today. But I don't want you to get the wrong idea that it's just me some burden this year of like, man, I really need you to step up. It's really an invitation. And my, uh, my prayer is that God would awaken each of us anew today to this year of this 
rise up and build. An invitation to you specifically, unique to who you are, unique to your gifts, and it's beautiful. So we're going to dive into Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview. Each week is going to be a little bit different as we unpack specifics. So this is going to be a little bit more of an overview. But I want to start by reading, and it'll be up on the screen, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And and I, one of my brothers, came to visit with me and some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, this is Nehemiah talking, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for four days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the words that you want to speak to us in your word. God, I thank you for this beautiful story of Nehemiah. Lord, just in the next few minutes, I pray that you'd give me divine wisdom to share your words. God, to share your heart. And Jesus, we'd be able to see you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit of backstory of the book of Nehemiah. We know Nehemiah as the builder of a wall. Now, to give you just kind of a little bit of perspective on that. So first of all, this wall is in Jerusalem. So if you didn't know, it's in Israel, in Jerusalem, sort of around the Temple Mount. Those of us who are going to Israel end of September, you'll actually be able to see part of Nehemiah's wall that's still standing today. It's not around the entire city of Jerusalem because the city was different back then because of the city of David. If you're looking at the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives, the city of David was left down the mountain from where the Temple Mount is. Where the Temple Mount is was where um, um, they, uh, they believed that, that Abraham sacrificed Isaac. So that, and then that was where the tent of David was, where he put the ark. But the actual city of David was to the left down in the valley. And so you'll see, if you ever Google it, there's a portion of this that was Nehemiah's wall. And before that, it was Jerusalem. And that was where God and his people dwelt. That's where David and his kingdom resided. And that was about 1,000 BC, 1,000 years before Christ was David's reign. And unfortunately, uh, about 500 years pass and things happen. The, 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 the kingdoms of David and the kingdom of Israel was divided into the north and the south. And then ultimately the north just disbanded and became nothing. And then the south, uh, that was really Israel. And they got taken over and they got taken to Babylon. Now I'm getting some more with this. They got taken to Babylon and the book of Ezra, which really kind of outlines this. In the middle of Ezra, you're going to see the book of Daniel because Daniel, the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that takes place all in Babylon. So follow me. You have the city of David where Nehemiah's wall ultimately will become built, rebuilt again. Those people get taken to Babylon. Daniel and the lion's den, all that takes place there. Ultimately, in the book of Ezra, his God's people get brought back to Jerusalem. This total divine God's providence. So then... What takes place in Nehemiah, which in the Hebrew Bible is actually called Second Ezra, because Ezra is the author of Nehemiah, and he's kind of talking first person using some of Nehemiah's actual journal notes. 
of what this is all about. But this is, this is basically the last main event before Jesus comes on the scene. And it's about 500 BC, 500 years before Jesus. Now that sounds like a long time, but there was, remember, 400 years of silence between when Jesus comes and when anything really happened. So when you look at Nehemiah, it was really kind of foundational and pivotal to set the scene for when Jesus was going to come. And so, so Nehemiah, he's a guy who, who, who lives in, outside of Jerusalem, never actually been to Jerusalem, but he is Jewish and he is passionate about his people. And he hears in this story what has taken place. And so I'm going to kind of unpack a little bit of a bigger picture as far as what takes place now. So he, Nehemiah, gets super burdened. The king's like, what's going on? He shares a little bit. He goes and checks it out. He looks at the wall and it's devastating. So he goes back to the king and he says, king, I'm going to, I'm going to need something from you. I need, I need you to send me because I'm on, a, I'm on a holy mission and God uses that king and blesses him and gives him provisions and he goes. And then Nehemiah calls the people together and ultimately we get, the, we get the phrase rise up and build from this moment where Nehemiah goes to the people and he says, will you, will you do this with me? Can you, can you partner with me in this great work? And they say, let's rise up and build. And in the middle of this, they're building and the enemy comes and sneaks in and tries to whisper to them and lure them away from this great cause. And Nehemiah just says, no, I'm not having it because we're on this great mission. And so we're going to get into all of that over the coming weeks. But I want to land specifically on, this, on the significance of this wall. Because as I look at this story, I just kind of go, it's a wall. And, and, and Jesus was never interested in buildings. He didn't come going, man, we just got to rebuild that building, right? He never did that. And so in the grand scheme of things, I'm looking at what is the significance of this wall for us today because God's calling us to rise up and build and he's not calling us to rise up and build a building. I mean, this space is awesome and we may call on you to help one time, <laughs> but that's not what this calling to rise up and build is about. It's something deep inside of you, the calling of God on your life to be you, not to be in ministry, not to be something you're not, but for wherever God's placed you to do incredible things for him. And so what are the implications of this wall? And so um, a wall is significant on two levels back in this time, and they'll be up on the screen. Security and identity. Security for obvious reasons, right? Back then, I mean, they didn't have helicopters, so there was no way for the enemy to like get around this big wall, or at least it was very difficult. And so a wall meant serious significance in terms of security, but also identity because it really established a people. When a people had a wall around their city, they went, this is ours. It's kind of like when you go from renting to owning, right? It's kind of like when as a wife, right, and you just get married, right? And you want to start nesting? And you're like, I need a place to start nesting, right? Nelsons know what I'm talking about. They just moved into their new place in Escondido. And uh, it's incredible. But it's that place of like, oh, I'm home. I have a place. I feel secure. I know who I am. You remember when, remember when Adam and Eve were first in the garden? And they were walking with God. And it was a perfect existence. Do you know why it was a perfect existence? Well, they had a perfect relationship with God. We know that. And do you know what that came with? 
Well, it came with security and identity. Because God was their protector. I will fight for you. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard, but I'm with you. I'll protect you. I'm your healer. I'm your savior. I'm your redeemer. I'm your high tower you can run into and be safe. And so God provided immense security for them. They didn't have anxiety or worry of like, what's going to happen? How am I going to pay the bills? And what, right? Like they didn't have to worry about any of that because God said, I will provide for you. I will protect you. And then they had identity. They know who they were. No one struggles with that. I understand. But let's just pretend we know somebody who struggles with this. Identity. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to jump into the rat race of life and achieve and do all these things. Whatever you do to find that, that we lost in the garden, because what happened when sin came is that those two things were the two things that were lost. What happened when they sinned? Well, they were afraid. And they hid. They, they no longer had security. I don't feel secure anymore. I feel afraid and I feel like I have to hide. And then they lost identity. They put fig leaves around them because I am naked. And what the Bible says is that for the very first time, they felt shame. Again, I know you don't relate, but let's just, we could pass this on to somebody that you know that, that you can relate with. But shame is very unique and it's different than guilt. Shame is not, I regret what I did, but I regret who I've become because of what I did. So shame has to do with identity. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve not only were afraid and didn't feel security, but they felt shame, which means they attacked their identity. And so, and so Nehemiah is coming on the scene and he's recognizing this wall as a symbol for God's people. It's not about the wall. And so all throughout this series, please don't miss the point focusing on a wall because God's called us to rise up and build something of intrinsic value, heavenly, eternal value in its security and identity, starting with us. And so Nehemiah was looking at the people saying that, that they, they are going to hit a glass ceiling in their life. The people of God are back. They're back in, 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 in God's land, in Israel, in Jerusalem. But whatever they do, they're going to hit this glass ceiling. It's almost like something's constantly pulling them back, pulling them back into their past pulling their back into their fears and into their anxieties, into the things that keep them from being who God created them to be. Anybody ever feel like that? I see that hand. Anybody ever feel like you hit a glass ceiling? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it, God, I'm rising up. But it's just like, bump, 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 hitting that, that glass ceiling. And so this was what Nehemiah was seeing. And so he went to the king and he said, king, Send me. Send me. It's interesting because it, it's familiar. And the shift that I want to take you on is that you are not Nehemiah. And I know it's kind of a bummer because when you hear an awesome story, you always want to put you in the middle of it and go, okay, Lord, I'll do it. Call on me. I'll go and rebuild the wall. Anybody with me? I totally do that. I read my Nehemiah and I'm like, man, I could be Nehemiah. I could go build the wall. But I love this picture. 
Jesus was grieved in his spirit when he saw his people because he saw his people hitting a glass ceiling. He saw his people burdened. The crown of his creation completely defeated. And so he came to build a wall. I wonder if you've ever thought about Nehemiah or read Nehemiah and thought about the shadow, Jesus. So the first idea is this. Jesus is the master builder, not us. Jesus is the master builder, not us. I've met a lot of good intentioned builders that unfortunately are not linked up with the master builder. Have you ever built anything in your life? And I'm not talking about a table or a chair or even a hot tub platform. Have you ever built anything in your life and it was fulfilling in the moment, but you're like, man, I don't, I don't know if there was, I was really supposed to do this or go on this career or this pathway or climb the ladder. And all of a sudden you look back and you have these monuments and these things, but they're just kind of empty because you forgot that you weren't the master builder, but you kind of took that role. You kind of said, God, I'm going to take my life into my hands. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make stuff happen. I'm going to build something. And then you're like, God, I've, you can come along and be a part of this and maybe you could bless this. But it really wasn't what God had designed. I love the parallel. So as I said, we were broken and Jesus saw us broken. So he goes to his father, the king, and says, send me. I'll go. I'll go prepare the, the way. I'll go build the wall. I'll go fill the gaps in their lives. The gaps of insecurity, the gaps of shame, the, ga the gaps of, of not feeling good enough. In this story, as I said, uh, Samballot and Tobias, they came as the enemy and trying to distract what God was doing. And Nehemiah stood up to them and said, no, not on my watch because we're about something incredible. Remember Jesus in the desert when he was wandering around and the enemy came to distract him and take him away. And he came with lies and schemes trying to derail what God was doing in his life. And then finally, Nehemiah goes to visit the wall. And I love this. Nehemiah goes to visit the wall and it says that he was burdened that it was, a, it was his burden to carry. And right before Jesus went to the cross, on his way to Jerusalem, the Bible says that he went to the Mount of Olives and he looked over the city of Jerusalem and he wept because he saw the people. He saw their potential of what they could be, but he realized they're never gonna be that. And so he went to prepare the way for us. So I wrote this down. Let's not take another step in this journey without recognizing Jesus has rebuilt the wall. Fear and anxiety come when we make ourselves Nehemiah. Now listen, so many times in life when we look at our dilemmas, when we look at our problems, when we look at our life, we go, all right, this is on my shoulders. I got to do this. I got to make this happen. And God, I thank you that you're going to strengthen me, but I gotta, and I gotta go get some people and I gotta go get some tools and I gotta go make this happen. 
and it just becomes a huge burden. And what I want to say to you is, Jesus is working. He is the master builder. How many of you know that, how many have seen Jesus work in your life? Weaving through your story. Was that your master plan? No. I'll tell you what, my master plan, that, that was gone a long time ago. I had some plans. I had some ideas. We're going to go here and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then all of a sudden, life happened. I happened. You happened. And, and here we are. And yet we see God doing something. And so here's what I want to tell you. In this journey to rise up and build, God is building something. And I know that it's easy to believe that for like the church and for the kingdom of God. And like, if you believe in the kingdom and if you believe in church, then of course, like God is working. But I'm talking about in your life, in your job, with your kids, with your finances, with every part of your life, God has a master plan. He does. Now, we don't have to tap into that master plan. We can do it ourselves. We can, we can assume the role of Nehemiah and go, I'm going to go and I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to get people around me and I'm going to invite God into my plan and do some stuff. But you need to know that Jesus has paved the way for you to begin to walk in his perfect plan this year. And I, and I love this scripture in Isaiah because this is what Jesus did and is still doing. And it's Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to the, uh, of the, those who are bound, to comfort all who mourn, give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Watch this. That they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall rise up from the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities. Instead of your shame, you shall have a double honor. He is the only answer for our system, systemic problem. Go ahead and put it up there. Of insecurity and shame. He's the only answer. He came to fill the gaps in our life. He is building. And with that comes an incredible master plan. And so the second idea, and this is where I'm going to land the plane, is he invites us to build with him. As I said, building is life. Building is life. Being a part of what God is doing is life. And so I, all the time, I'm asking the Lord, God, what are you doing with this church? What are you doing with my life? I want to leave that simple question to us. Jesus, what are you doing? I want us to take just a second and look at our life. Look at, look at the wall, if you will in the area of your family, in the area of your work, your calling, your passions. 
decisions that you need to make. Are you, are you seeing it? This is the wall that we're looking at. God's calling us to rise up and build. Okay, as you look at it, I know, especially the guys in the room, we, but this is everybody. As we look at this wall, as we look at the dynamics, we're already planning and making decisions about how we're gonna build that wall back. You got it in your mind? You got that gate that needs to be fixed. It was burnt down. It's like a super important gate. You need a gate to the wall. So I've got plans of how I'm going to, what I'm going to do there. And then I've already kind of set this in motion over here. We, we're, we're making plans. Come on, people, let's rise up and build. Anybody with me? And then we're like, oh, wait, oh, wait. Jesus, what are you doing? If, if this message was nothing else, it was lead us to this moment. So this is an incredible story of what God did for Israel, but it's an incredible story of what Jesus is doing in your life because he really did come to rebuild the walls in your life and in our city, in our church, to fill the gaps, the desperate gaps that we all have. Now listen, you'll never be able to ask this question honestly if you're leading from a place of insecurity and shame. Because you're always going to work from a deficit of like, I don't feel like I'm enough. And so I'm always going to have to, to protect myself and build myself. But Jesus is healing that. And we can turn and ask this question sincerely. Jesus, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my finances? What are you doing with my kids? Now, I know you're probably asking like, okay, well, even if he was to answer me, how would I know it? because I don't hear him. <laughs> Can I just tell you that Jesus, he has a really good way of making his path known. He's not in the business of secretly having this amazing plan, but not showing you. He's a good father and knows how to give good gifts. Now, direction towards the way you should go to build what he's building, I would call that a really good gift. And it is his delight to give you the keys to that kingdom. So I just want to blow up this whole idea that like, oh, I have to try to figure out like, okay, Nehemiah is coming down and he's building, he's be, that's Jesus, he's building the wall and I want to help him, but he's never going to show me what we're doing. So I'm just going to wander around. God wants to show you. He really does. It just takes asking. It takes stepping back from your master plan and the way you're going to work it all happen. Or some of us, we just step back and go, this is, this is a disaster. This wall's never going to work. I mean, have you seen those gates? Like they're blown open, the rocks. Are, I don't even know how to build a wall. And so I'm just going to sit back and do nothing and just let life happen to me. If you're in that category, come on. God's calling both sides the people who are going to make it happen and the people that are just life's happening to you. Calling us into the middle and going, Jesus has an incredible plan and we need to stay, step back from our plan and go, okay, God, every day, what are you doing? Like right now with this church, God's calling, you know this, God's calling us to find a new location. We have till the end of October to find a new location for this church. And listen, I have every temptation 
to either crawl in a hole and just let life happen to me because it's not working or bust down every door I possibly can to make it work. Does anybody have a situation like that in their life? But instead, instead, as God calls us to rise up and build, I would suggest that the first step is, okay, Lord, I'm rising up to build. I'm rising up to build. Okay, God, what are you doing? When was the last time that you just took a moment, kneeled before the creator of the universe, the master planner, believed that he is your protector, that he has given you dignity and identity, We don't have to strive for that. We're not working for that. That he has mended the gaps in your life. He has built you up. You are a son and daughter. And so we come before him whole. And we get to say, Dad, I know you're doing something good in my life. What are you doing? Would you show me? Because I want to partner with you. I want to partner with you. This is the call that God has given all of us to rise up and build. And it may be a slower process, but I promise you, it will be life. It will be life. It won't be anxiety. It won't be fear. It won't be depression. It will be life. God, I thank you that I get to build with you and you're doing something. And so you're always going to provide And It may not be all the things that I think it will be, or it might not look like I think it will look, but it will be life to me. I will have the joy of the Lord spilling over in my life because I've taken the time to let you fill the gaps in my life and I just get to hold on to your hand and say, come on, I get to build with you. I don't have to have the master plan. I just get to build with you. And so I'm gonna leave you this a practical thing. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I'm asking the Lord for in my journey to follow the Lord. I'm asking a simple question. God, where's your grace? Just practically, with buildings I'm looking at. I'm asking that when I walk up to a building and I look at it, I'm asking for the peace of God. I'm asking for the, just the grace. You ever, look, you, ever, you, ever, you ever gone into something and you just feel like it's a slug fest the whole time? You're like kicking down the door. It's just hard in your spirit. It's just hard. And there's other things where it's just like, wow, that was easy. Wow, that was a breath of fresh air. Wow, that was, and so as you're, as you're, as you're walking around, sometimes feeling like it's blind, like, God, where, where's your will? Where's your will, Lord? I'm, I'm a little blind here. You're looking for that. Oh, that's grace. Oh, there's a peace there. And sometimes the peace is waiting. <laughs> sometimes the peace is, I'm not going to make a decision. Because I just feel a peace in waiting. It's not time. It's not time. But that's what you're looking for. That's partnering with God, that's rising up and building. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you're doing in our life. God, I thank you that you have filled the gaps in our life that we're no longer lost. We're no longer hoping to find security and identity and destiny and purpose. You've given that to us. And now you have a roadmap for life that looks like life to us, building your kingdom in and through our lives and family and kids. And so we give you praise for that 
in advance that you have gone before us. And so Jesus, as a people, we just say yes to rise up and build with you. In Jesus' name, amen.